I want to introduce it in a different way. You know, as Christians, we are to be people of the book. We are to be people of the book. And this must first and foremost be the Bible, the Bible, but all truth is God's truth, okay? And, and, and we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be learners. We are called to be learners. Now, a, a lot of times we'll say leaders are readers and readers are leaders, but you can learn in many different ways, audio books and documentaries and, and various other things, but we're called to be studiers. And we're called to compare everything we read and everything we learn with the Bible as the authoritative word of God. Compare it. And if there's an error in one, the Bible cannot be an error. The Bible cannot be wrong. But we're called to be studiers. Oswald Chambers was asked by somebody about something, and this is what he said. My strong advice to you is to soak, soak, Soak in philosophy and psychology until you know it more of these subjects than you ever need consciously think. It is ignorance of these subjects on the part of ministers and workers that has brought our evangelical theology to such a sorry plight. When people refer to a man as a man of one book, meaning the Bible, he is generally a man of multitudinous books, which simply isolates the one book to its proper grandeur. The man who only reads the Bible does not, as a rule, know it or human life. That's a really challenging, you know, little paragraph from Oswald Chambers. But I like what he says. As you study psychology, as you study philosophy, as you study humanity, as you study other things, it isolates the Bible to its place of proper grandeur. Okay? As you study these other things, it isolates the Bible to its proper place. Remember that it's, it's important for Christians to be learners. Historically speaking, Christian families, and going back to Judaism, Jewish families have always been more literate than the other ones. They've always been more literate because we've always been people of the book. In the first century Judaism, in the first century Greco-Roman world, something like 5% of the people could read. 5%. I've heard as, as high as 15%. And to be literate in the first century meant that you could read road signs. It did not mean, you know, like 55 miles per hour for your donkey, you know, things like that. <laughs> to be literate in the first century, it meant that you could recognize road signs and, and things of that nature. It did not mean that you could read and write. But for the Jewish people, they wanted their people, their children to grow up to be readers to be learners, to be studiers. All truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. And we have such an awesome opportunity to study truth. Another quote. Get to know everything. So if you meet a godless man or a man with evil intentions, you can answer him properly. And his wicked and impious words will not befog your young mind. Fyodor Dostoevsky. Get to know everything. I recently read a, uh, heard a sermon by Colin Smith on Moody Radio. The program's called Unlocking the Bible. He's Scottish, but not to be confused with Alistair Begg. But it is great listening to Scottish preachers. You should try it sometime, okay? He's on at 10 o'clock on Moody Radio, and Miss Evelyn Queen introduced him to me, and thank you. And uh, 
I've been listening to him ever since because he's been preaching through a series on Deuteronomy. And he talked about on this April 2nd episode, he was challenged to read Deuteronomy in one sitting. In one sitting, he was challenged to read Deuteronomy when he was back in college or seminary. And Deuteronomy is 34 chapters, so that's, a, that's maybe an hour and a half or two hours if you read it in one sitting. But he did it. And Colin Smith shared that as he read this book, all in one sitting, he noticed the great love of God. The great love of God in Deuteronomy, all in one sitting. Now, remember, the Bible was not written with chapters and verses. The, the, the chapter and verses are not inspired, okay? Nothing wrong with the chapter and verses, but it's okay to read a large section of Scripture in one sitting. The Bible was meant to be read as larger sections in one sitting. As he read this in one sitting, he noticed the great love of God. Did you know that in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 18, it says that when they select a king, he is to write out this entire book. He is to go into a room by himself, take some papyrus, a scroll, and write out the entire book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 31, 11, they were instructed publicly to read Deuteronomy every seven years. Every seven years to publicly read Deuteronomy. This is a powerful book of the Word of God. However, this is a neglected book of the Word of God. So today we're going to talk about Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. The reason I'm talking about this particular passage is I'm introducing a new sermon series. I've been convicted to pray scripture from a very young age. I would learn scripture and the Lord would convict me to pray these passages. Sometimes God would prick my heart with a passage and it would become part of my prayer life. I've actually learned scriptures by praying them. Tony Evans, who is also on Moody Radio, says that when we pray scripture, we are praying God's word back to him. We are praying the promises of God back to him. What better content to pray than scripture? Over the next few months, I'm going to be preaching on scriptures that I have been convicted to pray for my children and for my descendants, for my grandchildren, for my great-grandchildren. For my great-great-grandchildren and their spouses, unless they have the gift of celibacy, which is a gift. These are not just scriptures, though, that I would pray for my descendants and the church, though I do. These are scriptures that I pray for my descendants. This is really a sermon series on leading spiritually, though I am calling it the series, The Scriptures to Pray for Your Children. Scriptures to Pray for Your Children series. In the next couple months, we will have Mother's Day and Father's Day, and soon after, you will have family vacations. Think about the ripple effects of parenting spiritually. I read this a few years ago. Actually, uh, Pastor Rick Sams of the Alliance Friends Church shared this with me. It's on the screen as well. Max Juch was a no-account horse thief drunkard whose 1,299 descendants, that's 1,299 descendants, were studied. 310 became vagrants. 440 lived in debauchery. 180 became prisoners, including seven murderers, 
180 alcoholics, 60 habitual thieves, and 190 prostitutes. Contrast this with the family of the great 18th century preacher, Jonathan Edwards. A study done by A.E. Winship revealed that of the 1,700 descendants studied, that's 1,700 descendants studied, 13 became college presidents, 65 were professors, 100 studied law, one dean of a law school, 30 became judges, 66 were physicians, one dean of a medical school, 80 held public office, three were U.S. senators, three became mayors of large cities, three were elected governors, one was vice president of the U.S., and one was, became controller of the U.S. Treasury. Long-term studies of just these two lives and families show we are the products of over 100 years of our forefathers' actions. And decisions in that we, I messed that up. We are the products of over 100 years of our forefathers' actions and decisions and that we affect our descendants' lives for over 100 years. And <clears throat> that's the key point. We are the product of the past 100 years at least and we are affecting the next 100 years at least. Name some ripple effects. This is rhetorical. Don't, don't really do it. It make the sermon go long. Name some ripple effects you've seen go on for generations in your family for good and for bad. And do you believe that you can break the bad cycles and be life-giving as you pass on a godly legacy? And I believe we can break the cycle because I believe with Jesus and through the Holy Spirit's power and the gospel salvation that he offers us, we can break the cycle, but we have to be intentional. Today, my theme is leading children spiritually means knowing, obeying, and passing on the Bible from Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. And this sermon series will be about scriptures we can pray for our descendants. But first, let's agree on this. Let's agree to value, value the Bible and value passing on the truth. Do we agree to value the Bible and value passing on the truth? If so, say Amen. Okay, we know that we are all awake right now. <laughs> the application is not just for parents. All of you can pray biblical prayers for the next generation. You don't have to be a biological parent. We can all pray biblical prayers for the next generation, and it is critical that we do. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9 one time more, just because it takes a couple times to get the scriptures truly implanted in our life. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you. That you might do them in the land where you're going over to possess it. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments. Which I command you all the days of your life. And that your days may be prolonged. Oh Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. That it may be well with you. And that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. 
These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. May the Lord add his blessing to the word. In verses 1 through 3, we see the setup of the great commandment. We're going to just walk through this passage. In verses 1 through 3, we see the setup. Notice that in verses 1 through 3, we see the repeated emphasis. The repeated emphasis on parenting, on parents teaching their children spiritually. That is repeated. Moses is passing on the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments to them. He's passing them on. Moses says that the Lord has commanded him to teach them. This is from the Lord to the people through Moses and to us, by the way. Moses is commanded to teach them so that they might do them in the land they are going over to possess. Hit the pause button after verse 1, though. We need, to, we need to give some information here, and I have this little paragraph on the screen. Right now, most of Israel is younger than 60 years old. Actually, Colin Smith, if you listen to him on Moody Radio or on wherever, on Unlocking the Bible, says they are all under 58 years old. Imagine a society where everyone but three people, Joshua, Caleb, and Moses, are younger than 58 years old, or at least 60 years old. Everyone who was 40 years and older had died off in the wilderness. There are three people who could keep living, Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. We see this in Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 through 38. They were sentenced to die in the wilderness because their lack of faith that Israel could take the land. They lacked faith that Israel could take the land. So they died off in the wilderness. And one thing we see in Deuteronomy is that God is instructing Moses to teach them so that they have stronger faith and do not make the same mistakes of their parents and forefathers. It's connecting the past with the present and looking to the future. I'll say that again later, but connecting the past with the present and looking to the future. It's been 40 years of the people wandering around the wilderness. They've been just wandering around and around and around in the wilderness. It's time to go in now and take the land. And so Moses is giving instructions. Deuteronomy is a sermon or a series of sermons given by Moses to the people before they enter the land. This is a sermon or a series of sermons. Verse 2, we see a purpose. Moses is to teach the people so that they will obey. And this includes their sons and grandsons. Whenever you see so that, it is purpose. Moses is teaching the people so that they will obey and so that they will pass it on to their sons. And notice how grandsons is mentioned. Grandparents have an amazingly important role spiritually with children. Verse 3 is urging them to listen and obey. Get that. It's urging them to listen and obey in verse 3. It actually says... Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. It's urging them to listen and obey. Repetition, these first three verses, 
I see repetition, these first three verses, three verses, that if they listen and obey, if they listen and obey, they will multiply and live long on the earth. Israel's life in the promised land is contingent on their obedience to God. And they were disobedient. And so later on, they were conquered. We today, we today are not Israel. But we will usually be blessed by obedience to God and His ways. And we will naturally be cursed when we disobey God's ways. There is common grace when we obey the Judeo-Christian values. There is common, just obvious, just natural cursing when we disobey God's ways. God's ways are right. Our ways are not. There's common grace when we obey. If you do not believe the previous statement, look what happened to David's family. After the sin with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 12, his family fell apart. He almost lost the kingdom. And later on, the kingdom is divided during, right after Solomon's reign. In verses 4 through 5, we see the Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for here. Notice first a simple statement, the Lord is one. Let's be a little bit interactive. Everyone say, the Lord is one. one. Say it a little bit louder, the Lord is one. Okay, that was critical when Moses teaches them that, when God teaches them that right here. Listen to this. This may seem basic to us, but not to them. Most societies in that day and age were polytheistic. Most of the societies in that day and age believed in many gods. This is saying, though, that there is one God and he is the Lord. And notice the repetition. The Lord is our God. This is the Lord. The Lord is our God and he is one. This is Yahweh, and this Yahweh is our God. This is a unique name for the Lord, as opposed to Elohim, which is translated God the second time. There are two different names for the Lord and God right here in this same passage. And what we need to say right now is theology matters. Theology matters. Doctrine matters. We have three words to describe our love for the Lord. They are nouns. Let's say them together. Heart, soul, and might. We see these three words, these three nouns. A noun is a person, place, or thing, okay? These three words are describing our love for the Lord. This means we love the Lord with all of our being. They did not have a word for the brain at that point. They would use the word for heart. Jesus would quote this and include mind. Actually, Jesus replaced might with mind. And we see Jesus quote this in Matthew 22, 37, Mark 12, 30, and Luke 10, 27. As an interesting note, by the way, the only individual in the Old Testament, the only individual in the Old Testament of whom it was said that he turned to the Lord with all of his heart, soul, and might was King Josiah in 2 Kings 23, 25. He's the only one that's listed as having turned to the Lord with all of his heart, soul, and might. In verses 6 through 9, we see the idea of taking every opportune time to talk about the word. Every opportune time to talk about the, the word. Verse 6 says that these words should be on our heart. And verse 7 tells, them to t- tells us to teach them diligently. Everyone say diligently. diligently. We are to teach them diligently to our sons. Diligently to our sons. This is really interesting. In Hebrew, we have one word that the, the New American Standard Bible translates as teach and diligently. It's the same Hebrew word. This word carries the idea of engraving. Engraving. 
As we recite something over and over and over and over and over and over again, it is engraved on our heart. We are to teach these statutes, these commandments, these things in Deuteronomy, these things in the Bible. We are to teach them diligently so that they are engraved on our heart and on our children's hearts and on our grandchildren's hearts. And it goes on. Here's some questions of application. Are you leading the family spiritually? Are you taking every opportune time to talk about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life with your family? Are you prioritizing not just Sunday morning church, but spiritual disciplines with your family? Are you prioritizing Christian community with your family? And in this way, I'm, I'm talking about prayer partners, small groups, midweek Bible study, Sunday school. Uh, Pastor and theologian, uh, Dr. J.D. Greer, I believe you can hear him on Moody Radio as well, uh, he has said that parents will come to him and talk to him and say, look, I, I raised my children in the church. Why have they walked away? And this is not the case with every parent, but it's something that he stated. He will come back and say, but what about Monday through Saturday? What about the rest of the week? Were you modeling the spiritual disciplines all week long, or was it just church on Sunday? Understand that this next generation right now has a strong hypocrite meter. And if you are different on Sunday morning than the rest of the week, they see through it. And they turn their backs on the faith totally and completely. We'll come back to that in a moment. Do you model biblical repentance with your children? I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but... As parents, we need to model apologizing and repenting when we make mistakes, just like we would expect of anyone else. Don't think just because your children are below you because they're little children, we don't need to repent and apologize. We do as well. It's critical. And you may do all of the above, and your children may still wander from the faith. And that's why we pray, pray, and pray that they come back. But we must pray spiritual prayers. We must pray biblical prayers. Too often our prayer life is just for physical felt needs. And it's not that they're not important. Those are important. But this sermon series is about praying the Bible back to God. Praying the promises of God back to God. Praying spiritual prayers. Praying eternal prayers. I'm going to come to that in a minute. Remember... That however you stray from the faith, your children will take it to the next level. However you stray from the faith, your children will take it to the next level. However you are flippant with the gospel, or with the scriptures, your children will take it to the next level. This is a documented fact. If the Bible teaches certain things and you're flipping about them, your children will see right through that and they'll be flipping with the rest of the Bible. They won't take it seriously. In the 1980s, uh, people viewed church commitment as Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. In the surveys given, if you were asking people if they were committed to a local church, it was Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. It was total commitment. Now people view church commitment as a few times a month. Those same surveys have changed to now if people view themselves as committed to the, to the gospel and the church, it's a few times a month. 
What I'm about to say, I say with great grace. I know life is difficult. I know that a lot of things come your way. I know sometimes work does not let you off, even if it's Sunday. I know that things get in the way. I know that things happen. I know that you see a lot of things pulling at you. But if you're skipping church to go fishing, hunting, to a football game, or because you do not feel like getting up, and suppose you have that excuse once a month, I guarantee, but by the grace of God, your children will give that excuse double, at least. Or actually, they will grow up and they will see that church really is not that valued if it is skipped for sporting events and hunting, and they will get rid of it altogether. That's part of that hypocrite meter. And it's been substantiated. Look at our society. Look at our culture. I say it with grace. I know that things are busy. I know things are going on. I know you have to make decisions. But what I believe is you can turn that around and use it as a teachable moment for your children and grandchildren. And what I mean by that is you can have a family meeting. I read a lot of articles about parenting and Christianity and stuff. And they'll say one thing for successful families is to have a family mission statement and to have family meetings. Have a family meeting and say, look, we're looking at a sporting event for you. We're not going to choose this one because we prioritize Christianity. We prioritize church commitment. We prioritize spiritual disciplines. And this one is going to dominate our family. So we're going to choose this one instead because our family at the core is Christianity. At the core is the, at the, core is the gospel. What happens a lot of times... I need a whiteboard for this illustration. But what a lot of times what, what happens is we have ourselves in the center and everything orbits around us. Everything is orbiting. It's like a mini solar system. And around you, you have, you have uh, sporting events and you have school and you have work and you have, you have recreational activities and fishing and hunting. And all these things are orbiting around the dot in the middle, which is you. And a lot of times we put church orbiting around you. But that's not where it belongs. It belongs in the middle. Christianity needs to be such a part of you, such a part of us, that everything orbits around that. Sporting events orbit around that. Scouts orbit around that. Uh, work orbits around that. Recreation orbits around that. It cannot be isolated. It cannot be distanced. In Deuteronomy, we see an emphasis on the children. And one writes, the reason for this emphasis on the children is clear. Deuteronomy is always aimed at the next generation. It takes the present next generation back to the past and brings the past afresh into the present. I'm going to stop there. It's connecting the past with the present and looking to the future. That children are now the ones before whom all the choices are laid. And someday their children will be there. And the divine instruction will confront them. See Deuteronomy 32. Uh, they can learn afresh what it means to love the Lord wholeheartedly. They're trying to help the future to be better with the past, than the, better than the past. Let's make some applications. You know, I always think through how a message can encourage. And different messages can be a little more difficult, and this was one of them. How do I encourage you with this message? Here's the encouragement. You have every resource you need spiritually in the Bible and with the church and with the Holy Spirit. You have every resource you need to, to, to parent spiritually, to be spiritual grandparents or great-grandparents if the Lord allows you to see your great-grandchildren. You have everything you need with the Word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit within you, and the church. 
Don't forget the church as a community. That's where we are just terrible in America right now, of leaning on the church for help. Here's some applications. We must study the Word of God. Study. We must love the Lord God with all of our being. We must love Him with all of our heart, soul, and might. Theologian R.C. Sproul looked at this and said, Honestly, I have not done that for five minutes. I mean, think about it. In an honest, transparent way, are we loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and might? That's the goal. That's where we have to repent and ask God and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. We must do our best to keep all the Lord's commands. Verse 2. We must do our best to listen and be careful to obey God's commands. Verse 3. We must understand and take seriously proper doctrine. And that is that God is one. Verse 4. We must have the word of God in our heart. That's verse 5. And you could see Psalm 119 verses 9 through 11. Engraving the word of God on our hearts. Making it part of our being. We must teach the word of God to our children and grandchildren. Wherever we are. And at all opportune times. And by the way. I think an application for that is when you're in the car, turn off the radio. Let's talk about the Word of God with our children, with our grandchildren. When you're driving to that sporting event and they're nervous about pitching or whatever, take a moment and pray with them. When you're uh, at a restaurant, you know, pray every time, all opportune times. It used to be family devotions, and I think those are very important. I really do. My prayer is that my children are through the Old and New Testament by the age of 12, 13, 14, around there, with uh, us reading some to them and them reading to themselves. You know, we need to read the Bible with our family, but it can't just be that. We must make our whole life about a devotion to the Lord, and our children see that. It's our whole life. We must repent. And I want to explain that a little bit more. Many of your children and, grown and, uh, and grandchildren are grown. Meet with them and apologize if you are lacking being a spiritual parent. I strongly believe repentance goes a long way. If you're overly angry in your discipline, go in and apologize. I was wrong. I should not have raised my voice. I matched your volume with mine and I yelled and I, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have, got, have gotten angry. I think that apology, that repentance goes a long way. That's a biblical way to do things. But after they are grown... And when they're adults, if you feel like you made mistakes raising them spiritually, apologize. Meet with them. I know people, even in our church, who have done that. I know others who have done that. You could say something like, you know, when you were being raised, I worked a lot. I valued working and building the business rather than leading the family in a biblical way. That was not right. I am sorry, and I ask for, for your forgiveness. You could say, you know, as I was raising you, I did not lead family devotions. We did not pray much as a family. I'm sorry, please forgive me. Third example. These are just examples I thought up. You know, when I was raising you, I allowed sports to be prioritized over, it's not saying sports are bad, prioritized over our church commitment. That was not right. I'm sorry, please forgive me. As another application here, by the way, I believe our job as parents is never complete. And I know I say that with just a six-year-old and a four-year-old at home, but I believe this. I hear too many parents think that it is none of their business to say something once their children are raised and out of the house. So they will not say anything when their adult children stray from the church. 
I think that is biblically wrong. I think that is wrong for society as well. We need the wisdom of grandparents and great-grandparents passed on, not only spiritually, but in every other way. We need that wisdom and that knowledge passed on. We need it, and we are in a society that is hurting for the lack of it. Would you not say anything if your children were shooting up heroin in, their, with, in a car with your children in the back seat? Sometimes we might say something about that, but we say nothing if they stray from the church. Would you not say anything if your adult children were drinking and driving? Why do we view spiritual things differently? God has placed you as parents, as grandparents, as, as great-grandparents, wherever you are at, in a place, at a point in time, to pass on the spiritual faith to your descendants. And God has commanded us to do it. He has commanded us all throughout Deuteronomy. We see that idea repeated again and again and again and again until it's, it's always there. The idea of teaching children is all throughout the Old Testament. Why have we forgotten that? If faith is important, we pass it on. If faith is important, we pass it on. If it's not important, we don't. And obviously, it wasn't important for a lot of Christians across the United States because it hasn't been passed on. It has not been passed on. This sermon series will be about scriptures we can pray for our descendants. As a reminder, let's agree to value the Bible and value passing on the faith. I have an illustration to finish with. A Japanese girl who studied at an American college enjoyed living in the United States. But one thing she longed to see was the inside of a true Christian home. She spent her Christmas vacation in the home of one of her classmates. And she had a delightful time. As she was about to leave, the mother said, How do you like the way we Americans live? Oh, said the girl, I love it. Your home is truly beautiful. Yet there is one thing I miss. A faraway look came into her eyes as she continued. I've been with you, I've been to your church, and I've seen you worship there. But I have missed, I have missed God in your home. In Japan, we have a God shelf in every home. So we can worship right in our house. Excuse me, but don't you Americans worship God in your homes? Her host felt convicted, for there was little to reveal that theirs was a Christian home. Not even a time when the family prayed and read the Bible together. How are we doing with that? Dr. Constable, who's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, shares, One day in a seminary class, I asked my students to suggest some ways that parents can perpetuate the knowledge of God in their children. A young man proceeded to explain that his wife had grown up in Brazil, where her parents had practiced the custom of writing down evidences of God's faithfulness to their family and putting the paper into a matchbox. At the end of each year, they glued that year's matchbox onto others from preceding years. While the girl was growing up, she saw her parents construct a house made out of these matchboxes. <clears throat> when the family ran into trouble, they would open up one or more of those matchboxes and read the record of God's faithfulness and be encouraged. Dr. Constable continues, friends of ours used to keep a special gallon iced tea jar on the counter in their kitchen. When God showed his faithfulness in some dramatic way, they wrote what happened on a slip of paper and put it into the jar. Then, when the going got tough, they opened the jar and reminded themselves 
of how God had been faithful to them in the past. God is faithful. We can trust him and we can follow him. Let's pray right now. Oh, Lord God, we come to you right now because I believe you've given us instructions in Deuteronomy. And actually in every other of the other 65 books of the Bible. All throughout the Old and New Testament, you give us instructions to teach and lead our children spiritually. You tell us to pray biblical prayers, to pray the word of God. Jesus, you yourself responded to the devil with the word of God three times. And in the last book of Revelation, John says three times the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ together. Lord God, you've called us to engrave the word of God on our lives. Help us, Lord. We need your help. Holy Spirit, we need you to dwell in us and overflow within us to help us. And first of all, we need to accept Jesus, your free, your free gift of salvation. We need to repent and turn to you. We need to confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior. We need to commit to you. We need to trust in you. Jesus, if there's anyone here who has not turned their life over to you, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day when we say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I've sinned and I've missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you. I'm committing my life to you. I'm trusting in you as Lord and Savior. Jesus, help us living for you. Help us making you Lord of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand if you're able for the closing hymn. I will sing of my Redeemer, hymn 220. Amen. Let's all stand. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross he suffered From the curse to set me free Sing, oh sing Of my Redeemer With his blood he purchased me On the cross he sealed my pardon Paid the debt and made me free I will tell the wondrous story How my lost estate to save In his boundless love and mercy He the ransom freely gave <clears throat> Sing, oh sing of my Redeemer With his blood he purchased me on the cross he sealed my pardon paid the debt and made me free i will praise my dear redeemer his triumphant power i'll tell how the victory he giveth over sin and death and hell Sing, oh sing, of my Redeemer, with his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, 
paid the debt and made me free. I will sing of my Redeemer and His heavenly love to me. He from death to life had brought me, Son of God, with Him to be. Sing, oh sing, of my Redeemer, with His blood He purchased me. On the cross He sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. Before our pastor closes, he didn't know I was going to do this, but we need to pray for him and his family as they go on vacation. I'm so happy that we want to pray that they go have a refreshing time uh, and a safe journey. So let's pray together for Pastor Steve and Megan and, their, and the girls. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this man of God you've sent to us and his family. Thank you, Lord, for his boldness from this pulpit to preach the word of God. Now, God, I just pray for Pastor Steve and Megan and their beautiful girls that as they go, Lord, you'd give them a safe journey, a safe, safe traveling mercies there and, and back here to us. But, Lord, that they might have a wonderful, refreshing time with family and uh, friends down there in North Carolina. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. And only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority for all time, now and forever. Amen.